have a seat. If you're a mid-school or a high school person, you can walk out these doors and go back there. They uh, are going to be studying the same passage we will, so they'll probably do a better job than I will. And uh, let's get into it. How's everybody doing? Hanging in there? Bit of a weird week. Um, I've said that, I think, 56 weeks in a row now, so um, I feel like everything's maybe just a little weird. Maybe it's always been weird, but uh, like Trev said, maybe we're coming out of it, which is right when I feel like things are going to come crashing down. It's my pessimism that just uh, comes roaring out at that time. So I think I'm by default an optimist, but life has made me. My mom calls herself a realist, and uh, we know she's a pessimist, but we just, uh, strange things happen. So as, uh, as you go about kind of preparing to preach a sermon, I th- every preacher has a process they go through and, and kind of through the week and how you go about <clears throat> prepping the sermon or, or, or choosing the, what you're going to teach on. And it's one of the reasons we love teaching through books is because it makes it really easy to know what you're going to preach because it's just, you just, it's just the next passage. Whatever is next up, that's what you're preaching that week. And so it doesn't really matter what's going on. Um, you just do the next thing. And so these kind of one-offs, as we've been calling them, uh, are sort of difficult, and, and typically you just, you just get our quiet times. And so, but that doesn't always line up. And so this week is one of those weeks, and things were just going nuts, and it was a crazy week, and, and all these distractions. And, and uh, by Friday, I still wasn't sure what I was going to preach. And then on, uh, on Saturday, I wasn't entirely sure either, and I was wrestling a lot with the Lord on, on Friday afternoon. And I'm just asking him, I'm like, Lord, what are you, uh, what is going on? Like, it usually kind of clicks and everything's great and it's not working. And I was super frustrated and I was getting just, just, I just feeling weighed down. I was feeling, um, oh, just kind of heavy and burdened. And I, and I you know, go to the, the Matthew 11, 28, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. And so I was going to the Lord and saying, what are you, what are you doing? And, and I, I want to read off, um, in the context of that, I'm going to read off some symptoms to you, and I want you to think if you can think about what these are symptoms of. So I'm going to read the symptoms. I want you to think about what, is the, what the malady is, okay? So here's a list of symptoms. These are super fun times. Disorientation and isolation, one of the symptoms. Feeling out of whack like you're by yourself. Depression and sadness, is general melancholy. Hyper irritability. <laughs> I laugh because I feel like anybody who's, uh, who gets tired is probably like that. But anyway, hyper irritability. Next one is loss of focus and inability to complete tasks. I'm super scatterbrained anyway, so that's just par for the course for me. But apparently that's actually uh, not normal for people. So loss of focus and inability to complete tasks, another symptom. Another one, hypochondria. Hypochondria. Next one, extreme concern over sanitation. Extreme concern over sanitation. And the last one, this might give it away, excessive criticism of your host culture. See, these are all symptoms of culture shock. Does it sound like I'm describing like corona pandemic people? Right? Disorientation and isolation, I mean, does that feel like, you could probably just name, that's just how we feel. There's increased depression and sadness, the suicide rates are skyrocketing, hyper irritability, just like read the news, everybody's mad. Everybody's mad. It doesn't matter what people are mad about. They're mad about being mad. And if they're not mad, they're mad about not being mad. Excessive criticism of the host culture. So what is our host culture? It's the United States. Are we excessively critical of our host culture? 
Yes. And everybody's critical of something else. Some people are critical of this side. Some people are critical of that side. It's just, it's just critical. Loss of focus, inability to complete tasks. Like that's, I can't hardly get anything done some days it seems. Hypochondria. I mean, I have not felt free to sneeze or cough in public in over a year. Literally, like a legit sneeze. Or just, like I have allergies, like my nose is stuffy. I'm like, I, I am going to, any symptom whatsoever, any symptom from sneezing to diarrhea, tummy ache, watery eyes, runny nose, cough, scratchy head, rash, anything at all, I'm thinking I'm dying of coronavirus. Everything. Because it's like all the symptoms are there. Hypochondria. And then extreme concern over sanitation. <laughs> all our masks. We have pumps of stuff to kill viruses that we rubble over our hands. Wash your hands, stay away from everybody, wear a mask. Our entire world is in culture shock. Our entire world is in culture shock right now. And when you feel that way, it's very disorienting. And if you've never, having lived in Guatemala, we were able to, there's a process that you go through in, in inculturation, if you can do it well, where you have these dips and then you come back out of it and you're now like a new person. You've integrated part of the culture into yourself. You shed things that are not biblical. And you're now walking in this kind of amalgam of a new person in a new culture from another culture, but enculturated somewhere else, right? I don't know if that's going to happen in a pandemic. Does it go away? I don't know. Sure. And then what happened? I don't know. So what I felt like is I was just sort of flailing along in culture shock. And I have some buddies who are pilots, and a good buddy of mine growing up would, was explaining to me all of the, you know, the ways when he's learning to fly a plane, and you fly, um, when you can see, it's totally different. If it's a sunny, clear day, you're in a little plane, you're good to go, because you can see the horizon. No matter what's going on, you can see the ground, you can see the sky, and so you know where to put the plane if things get bad. As long as the plane is flying, you can see what you're doing. You get into problems when you get into the clouds. Because when you get into the clouds, you can't see the horizon. And your inner ear starts doing weird things. And so I was doing weird things. I was totally disconnected and not doing well at all. And as I was driving home on Friday evening, this, uh, this song came on. And it was this, this old hymn, um, uh, this hymn by Charles Wesley, um, come now long expected Jesus. And the last line in that is, by thine all-sufficient merit, bring us to thy glorious throne. And so the Lord was like, hey, this is actually all about me and my merit and what I'm doing, that I'm bringing you where I want you to go by my own merit. So that got us me rolling on where we're going to be today, which is Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 18. A wonderful passage about the preeminence, the supremacy of Jesus. And we're going to get in here in just a second. But before we do that, uh, I want to pray and start looking at finding our horizon here. So please pray with me. Lord, I love you and I love that you are you're with us. That is, we're going to look at here the, the image of the invisible God. His name is Emmanuel, God with us, that you enter our suffering, you enter our difficulty. You enter our world in all of our brokenness and you call us to redemption through yourself. You do not call us to work harder, to be better, to be righteous in order to be saved. You call us to come broken to you just as we are and that you will redeem us if we will trust in you. 
And then you promise to sanctify us and make us like Jesus if we will walk with you and faithfully trust you to accomplish what you've promised to do. And we confess to you, Lord Jesus, that we do that very poorly. And I constantly am just getting battered by the waves of life, by my own selfishness, by my own foolishness, by my own lack of all kinds of things, compassion, lack of discipline, lack of courage. And so we come to you, Lord Jesus, as your servants in great need of encouragement, in great need of hope, in great need of power. Because without you, we are hopeless, we are powerless, and we're discouraged. And so we come to you this morning asking for your help. And as we pray here all the time, I want you to just pray in your seat as you're sitting there listening. And I I want you to just ask that the Lord would teach you what he wants you to know. Ask for his help. And as we pray, often pray for someone around you. Person beside you, maybe it's your, your brother or your wife or your kid or your friend. Pray for them that the Lord would encourage them today, would challenge them and equip them to do his will. Lord, we lay this time before you, confessing that we are often very disoriented, and we come to you, Lord Jesus, to reorient, teach us about you, and help us to worship you well today. In Christ's risen name we pray, amen. So Colossians... A wonderful chapter. Chebs spent quite a bit of time in Colossians chapter 3. And uh, this is a wonderful passage. So let's just get into it. This is going to be in uh, 15. Actually, I'm going to start in 13 to kind of ramp up to 15. So it says, For he, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So you'll see in Paul's letters and all this, this incredible working of the, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, this Trinitarian unity working forward. And then he's going to go on and explain who this Son is. In verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Okay, so let's dig into this passage here. You'll see three kind of he is, or your version might say the son is, but he is the image, he is before all things, and, and he is the head. And so this idea of him being the image of the invisible God, not that he's not a copy of the invisible God, but the idea that, that God is spirit and we are material beings who are who are both body and spirit but we are limited in our capacity to see the immaterial world and so jesus is the image of the invisible god meaning that he is so these are a lot of words but listen when i say image i mean this he is essentially and absolutely the perfect expression and manifestation of god to created beings so hold on so what does it mean to say his image doesn't mean he's like a picture of god or that he's like a statue or an impression But it means that he is essentially, meaning in his very essence, and absolutely, meaning in his totality, the perfect expression 
and manifestation of God to created beings. So we being created are, are, are utterly separate from God, different from Him in, in the state of our being. And we cannot know Him or see Him unless He reveals Himself to us. And so Jesus being the image of the invisible God, so that we being creatures who see things visibly could see Him, that when you look to Jesus, that's what God is like. If you want to know who God is, you look to Jesus and you see God. To see Him is to see the Father. That is what God is like. The next uh, section there in that verse says, He is the firstborn over all creation. So firstborn talking not about the order that Jesus was born in. So a lot of uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, and other cults get way off task saying, oh, Jesus was born and then he created everything, which totally ignores the, everything that comes after this verse. So uh, the entire context of this is not that Jesus was the firstborn and then he created everything. No, no. It's, it's the concept of priority and preeminence. Like the firstborn son in a family had preeminence in the son. He had the responsibility over caring for the rest of the family. He received a double inheritance so that he could then take care of the rest of the family. It's about priority and preeminence. He was before and firstborn over all creation. So he not only existed before it, but he was the causal agent in its production, which is going to happen here in the next Verse. So he is first off the image of the invisible God, and he is preeminent over all of creation. And then in addition to that, or explaining that, Paul's going to go on in verse 16 to say this. For by him all things were created. That word created there means that the act of creation, that he is the one who was the agent of creation, the causal agent of it. For by him... All things were created. If you have a pen, I want you to circle the word all. Just circle it. All things, and we should draw an arrow over to things, over things to created. If you can make a line over things or a box, all things were created. What things? All things. If it's a thing, Jesus made it. For by him all things were created. And then he's going to explain the parameters of that. Things in heaven? And things on earth, which is the totality of everything. Earth being the, the, the created environment of the cosmos. And heaven being the immaterial realm of God. Okay? By him all things were created. Things in heaven and things on earth. And then he's going to discern that into visible or the material world. And invisible or the immaterial world. So what is included in that invisible world? There's an explanation right after that where he says, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. So Paul here is addressing and explaining what this invisible world is. And most scholars agree that he is explaining the, the uh, um, orders in the angelic kingdom, in the angelic realm. And he's answering something that was going on with, uh, with a, a, an early heresy in the church called Gnosticism, where you had... Gnostics didn't, they believed that all material things were evil and that only the immaterial was good. And so, which led them to just do all kinds of carnal things with their bodies and then excuse it and say, well, the body doesn't matter, so it doesn't matter what I do. Anytime you see a heresy, it's generally going to be an excuse to sin. You can just follow it back to that course somewhere. They're trying to figure out, how can I do what I want and get away with it? So these Gnostics, you had to have this, uh, this secret knowledge in order to achieve salvation. It's all over today. I mean, it's, uh, there's nothing new under the sun with regard to heresies. But Gnostics worshipped orders of angels. 
And so Paul is coming up and using some of the Gnostic language that was familiar to this time and saying, Jesus made all that, so don't worship that. There's no angel veneration for us. So he's explaining these things. He is the image. He is, by him all things were created. And then it says, all things were created by him and for him. So by him, he's, like I said, he's the agent of creation. And for him, he is now the goal of creation. So in, in, Greek, uh, philo- in Greek philosophy, everything that was made had to have this kind of three-step purpose. So you had to have a, a, a primary cause, a, 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 uh, an instrumental cause, meaning that the way it was made, and then a final cause. What's its purpose? So because that confused me, I made it into three P's because that's how my mind works. Uh, that you had to, everything had to have a plan, a purpose, and, uh, or excuse me, a plan, power, and, and a purpose. So you have a plan. This building exists. For a Greek, like this is something, if we're going to make something, even if it's a philosophy, it has to have a plan. Somebody has to think about it first. And then there has to have power in order to make the thing. And then the thing has to have a purpose, right? If you look at a shovel, someone needed to dig a hole. Someone plans it. Someone has the power to make it. And then the purpose is to dig a hole. You look at anything that's around, there was a plan, a power, and a purpose. So what Paul is saying, using the, the, the mindset of the culture of the Colossians, is this. Jesus is the plan and the power and the purpose of everything. Everything. All things were created by him and for him. So when we say the name Jesus, this must be what we mean. Because if I'm talking to my Mormon friend and I say Jesus the Nazarene, we're talking about two totally different people. I'm talking about this Jesus who was not created, who was before creation, who is antecedent to creation, and is supreme over all creation. And that he is unique in that he is over creation as the second member of the triune Godhead. That's what I mean when I say Jesus, because that's who the Bible says Jesus is. Not some other book that some other dude wrote some late, wrote later, or some other lady, I don't care who wrote it. Anybody who writes it that's not in the Bible, it's not the word of God. All things were created by him, and for him. So he is the image, and then he is before. I just like this. I like this idea of, um, of well, let's just keep reading. Okay, I'm getting off tra- track here. He is before, look, do you see the word again? All things. See that phrase? The second time that's been in there. All things were created. All things were created by him, and he is before all things. So if you see something, or if you think something, or if you read something, or if someone says something, Jesus is he's before that. He is over and above all of these things. So when you start to think about what does that mean for life for us, that Jesus is above all these things, what about, what about the problems in our nation today? By the way, national problems, not new. Like our entire nation was birthed out of problems. Problems with England, which was also birthed out of problems with somewhere else. They had their problems. Uh, France was one of them. They had lots of other problems. And the nations before them, they had problems. The Roman Empire, in which the Colossians were, they had massive, massive problems. The empire before that, though, they also had problems. Oh, what about, oh, oh, they had problems. The Egyptians, problems. If people are running it, it's full of problems. Okay? Just make it right. Why? Because we're not above all things. We're not. We're just people. We make systems of government to do the best we can to rule ourselves, and we're bad at it. 
because we're sinful. And so we make systems of government in order to govern ourselves because we can't do it on our own. So we have a rule of law that says if you steal, you can't do that. Why? Because people steal. If you murder, you can't do that. You go to jail. Why? Because we kill, we kill each other. They're like, oh, you have to pay taxes. Oh, great, I'll do that. No, no, no. But if you don't, you go to jail. Oh, okay, then I'll pay my taxes. We don't just do it because someone says. We do it because there's a penalty if we don't. That's called governance. And we have to do it because we're sinful. The fact that we need a constitution should reveal our own carnality. So Jesus is above all of these things. And then look at this in verse 17. This is, Treb said this earlier today in his prayer. And in him all things hold together. Man, I love that. So it doesn't matter what illustration I use. They're, they're, you can all work for holding something together, right? But I want you to just think like real big. Real, real big. So if you've ever seen the Hubble Deep Space Field, right? By now you've probably seen it. I mean, it's been around for a very, very long time. They took the Hubble telescope, they pointed it to the darkest part of the sky, and they opened up the aperture for like 10 days or however long it was, a long time. And the greatest telescope we'd ever, humankind had ever come up with, they're like, it's pointed to the darkest part of space and see what we don't see. There shouldn't be anything there. Well, they saw this giant fabric of stuff, beautiful colors, all these things that they thought were stars. Well, you zoom in and they're not stars, they're galaxies. They point it to the darkest part of our sky and they see billions upon billions of galaxies. Galaxies. Each of them having billions upon billions of stars in them. I don't know what the math is on that, but you start multiplying billions by billions, you get a really big number. So there's a lot of stars out there. There's a vast cosmos out there, cosmos, however you say it. And it's not just exploding in on itself. It's not just in total disorder. Things are decaying. There is entropy. There is a very clear order to the universe. I mean, our own planet spins around a sun that warms us up. It's amazing. We can plant corn in the ground and it grows and we can eat it. It's incredible the fact that we even can exist. So you go really, 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 really big and there's order. You go really, 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 really small. You get to atomic size and then you, they're like, okay, well, smart people a long time ago said, well, what holds the atoms together? And then particle physicists say, well, we should figure it out. And so they try to come up with this unified field theory. What holds it all together? What holds the little protons and electrons from spinning off from the atom? And they come up with words like a strong force and a weak force because they don't know. They're looking into the tiniest things that we can possibly conceive of and now we're trying to go smaller and smaller and smaller, and there's order there. So from the smallest to the largest, there is order, and something is holding it all together. And the Bible, this antiquated old book written by a bunch of grumpy old men 2,000 years ago, gave us the answer, it's Jesus. Why is he holding it together? Because he made it. It didn't just come into existence. The reality of Jesus flies in the face of humanistic Darwinism, they are, they are incongruous with one another. One of them says that we are the result of a random, a random collection of chemical accidents. That all these accidents eventually work together to produce something, life. And then from that life came other life. The Bible comes and says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is a God who loves you and who created this world this cosmos and holds it together. Now study, study that and see his glory revealed in it. That is the purpose of science. It is to study the created order 
and to worship its creator. Jesus holds it all together. You see that other phrase, all in him, all things hold together. All things, by him, all things were created. All things were created by him. He's before all things. And in him, all things hold together. So what is included in the phrase all things, remember? All things. Like you and me, like the chairs that you're sitting on. That's the thing. Now, Jesus didn't like make the chair. Jesus made the stuff that we made the chair from, right? He created the stuff that we make stuff with. We don't actually create anything. We can make stuff out of the stuff that Jesus created. Nobody's like making iron. You can do other stuff and make it. We don't, we don't create anything. We, we use what Jesus created to make stuff. And beautiful things. Incredible things. Art. Architecture. Literature. Amazing things. What was that? Words. Yeah. That's right. We use words. I'm using too many of them right now. So, we make words. Amen. <laughs> Time to draw too close. So, he is, that's the kind of honesty we need. See, y'all don't know. If y'all, you only say amen more often and I'll get done sooner. So, so, and in him, all things hold together. So, last thing here. So, he's the image, he's before, and then he is the head, he's the body, he's the church. Uh, he is, the, the body's not supposed to go where the head doesn't go, right? If, you, if the body and the head are going to two different places, something's broken real bad, right? Like, you've been decapitated and now things are poorly functioning. So, the body of Christ is supposed to go where the head goes. Where, I, where my head tells my body to go, my body's supposed to go. He's the head of the church, firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy or preeminence. Preeminence means uh, that which have, is more important, that which is more, uh, more powerful. That's preeminence. Okay, so what do we do with this massive glob of information? It's if you're going to memorize, I say this all the time, just memorize the scripture with me. But if you're going to memorize something, this is a great one to memorize. So rich, so deep, we're just scratching the surface. But how do we, what do we take away from some of this? So we have this idea that I was super, my problem this week was that I got, I got, um, I got lost in the class. And because life just happens. You got, we have, we have, we have kids and we've got stuff and we've got bills and you've got this and we're trying to do that with the house and we're trying to do that. You got to do this thing and, and there's the news, the news, the news, the news. On Friday I took Facebook off my phone because I just can't take it anymore. I'm done. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, find my number and call me or email me. I'll do email and, or text me or just knock on my door. Anyway, I'll come tell you where I live. So it's, it's fine. Or go knock on Trump's door. I'll tell you where he lives too. So the, the idea though is that I, I, I need community and, and I get lost in this cloud of stuff. I get lost in it. And Jesus forms this horizon for me. So like when you're, in, when you're a pilot in a plane, you can start turning and you think you're flying straight. God, most guys, unless, if the plane is working, pilots don't want to crash them into the ground. They want to fly them. They want to land. They want to go home and, and, and have some cookies or whatever. So they, the plane though, a plane can start turning and they think they're flying straight. But their inner ear is telling them, oh, you need to nose up a little bit because they're in a turn. And they'll start turning and as they start pulling up they think they need to be pulling up but they're pulling tighter into this turn and it just spirals and blimey run into the ground because they can't see the horizon so planes have an artificial horizon on them so that when they cannot see the horizon did anybody heard this phrase trust your what if you're a pilot instruments why do you trust the instruments they don't lie the instruments don't have a, a, an agenda 
They just tell you where the horizon is, all right? It's just an instrument. It doesn't have a plot against you. There's not a nefarious thing. There's no whatever. No tin hats. It's just the artificial horizon. And you can argue with it. You can say it's not true. You can say whoever built it did the wrong thing. Whoever did, you can, and, and I get it, instruments can break. But for the most part, you trust your instruments when you can't see. So as I read through this passage, I came to this reality that I, I only have one horizon. So I don't want to beat this metaphor to death, but you've got this. What is a horizon? It's where what and what meet. Earth and sky, right? You've got the ground and the sky, the meeting of heaven and earth. I mean, it just works, right? That's who Jesus is. He's God among us. He's God with us. He's the incarnate word of God coming to dwell us. How do I know what God is like? I look to Jesus. He's my horizon. When I'm stuck in the clouds, I need to, feel, I need to see Jesus. I don't need some other guy's idea of Jesus. I don't need my idea of Jesus. I need the real Jesus. I need the Jesus who is the image of the invisible God. I need the Jesus who is before all things. I need the Jesus who is the head of the church. That's who I need. I need Jesus. And I need him to be my horizon because I'm constantly lost in the clouds. And if you find yourself spinning around in the clouds, not knowing what's going on, and you try to focus on another horizon, you're going to crash your plane. And it happens all the time. All the time, and the people climb out of the plane, they're like, what happened? Why is my plane on the ground? I thought I was flying straight. They're like, what did you read the instruments? They're like, no. No. I, I kind of, no. And then we were like, okay, let's, let's rebuild. Or, or we can keep flying straight and level by keeping our eyes on Jesus. It's the great message of Hebrews. Keep our eyes on Jesus. He's our only horizon. Second is... There's only one hero. Uh, if anybody has been around Christianity in the past like 40 or 50 years, that you don't have Ravi Zacharias, uh, his fall and the devastation behind him is, if you haven't heard, just Google Ravi Zacharias and you'll be able to see what happened. But he, hero of mine, used to be, not anymore. I'm done with human heroes. I, have fit, I decided this week, my human, it, no, great. I, like, I love like firemen are heroes and policemen are heroes and soldiers are heroes and nurses are heroes and teachers are heroes. Like, I like that. Good. Let's, let's give those people there. That's not what I mean. I mean the person that I hang on my hope on. And Ravi Zacharias, used greatly by God, was a, was a monster. Monster. Just Google it. And my heart was crushed. Hopes were broken because I'd put too much hope in a guy. Just a dude. Just a man, like any other man. And he was bad and wicked and evil in the sight of the Lord. And I've got a bazillion questions that I'm not even going to touch on here. But the reality that he is not my hero, only Jesus is my hero. I cannot hang my hopes on another person. And one of the ways that you know that you have a hero is when they get attacked, you get angry. And you come to their defense. Of course I would defend Rabbi Zacharias. He's like, look at all the good he's done. Well, he was hiding all these things. Because you know what? If you haven't been around people for very long, they can be bad. And we're really good at deceiving ourselves. Really good at covering our tracks. And people have gotten very good at evil. While they're trying and looking like they're doing good. So how do you respond when your hero is attacked? Because if you get mad, that's edging into idolatry. Okay? I'm not saying that you don't defend people like if someone's jumping on your wife or whatever. That's not what I mean. I mean, when you, if someone is, you, you say is your hero, if someone's attacking them or if there's a question about them, is your, is your first response is let's seek the truth. 
Or is your first response is, there's no way. So be, be careful of your heroes because I'm only going to have one. Only one man can hold up to all of the burden that my soul needs, and that's Jesus. He's the singular anchor to my soul. And anything I've anchored my soul to before sinks, like, or blows away, or whatever the analogy is for an anchor. It doesn't hold. There's only one horizon, there's only one hero, and there's only one who holds it all together. What about our nation? Anybody who's looking at would say that we're, our nation is in, in trouble. Not the first time I've been in trouble, by the way. Just, just pick up a high school history book and just start reading the American history. Just start. 17, whatever. And just pick it up, read. We're not, this is not the kingdom of God here, folks. It isn't. Jesus is not the president. Nor really be. Ain't nobody going to vote Jesus in. Did you read what we just read? Nobody's voting for Jesus when he comes back. No one's going to say, I, I vote for You can vote for him, I guess. He's not going to care. He's not going to count votes. He's going to rule because he's the king, because he made everything. And praise be to God that he is infinitely and wonderfully good because he is infinitely and wonderfully powerful. And he treats us with such kindness. And he holds everything together. So whatever's going on in your cloud, if you're dizzy, I want you to realize that Jesus can hold it together. If your marriage is struggling, Jesus holds that together. He holds together the tiny things and the big things and everything in between. Marriages, our families, our, our, our jobs, our, our financial uh, needs. He holds together our bodies. If we're going to get sick, fight to stay well. But we all are going to go home at some point. Realize that he is the one who holds it together. And if you're trying to hold your life together on your own power, I mean, good luck. You can call me when it falls apart, and I'll come and help you pick up the wreckage of your plane. And I'll love you, and I'll say, why didn't you read the instruments? Because there's only one horizon. So there we go. Colossians 1, just a tiny little section of it. The reality that this is who Jesus is. So the next time someone asks you where you go to church, you can say, oh, I go to the Vine Community Church. And uh, they're like, what the, what's that? What kind of church is that? And you're like, it's a church that worships Jesus. Well, who's that? And you're like, well, he's the image of the invisible God. And then maybe you can start talking to him about something. Because then we're not talking about us. Uh, you're talking about Jesus. Because there's like 95 churches, I think, in, in the Southwest named the Vine Community Church. So we're just one of many. But what we have is we have Jesus as our Lord in our horizon. So let's keep our eyes focused on him and let's pray. Lord, I, um, I'm grateful to you that you care for us. That the, I got to be real honest, Lord, it's, 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 my faith is weak. And I cry with the, the man in the Gospels, with a sick child. I believe, help my unbelief. Believe in you, Lord Jesus. But trials and my own weaknesses and things cause me to start trusting in things other than you. And so I need you to help us, Lord Jesus, to trust in your supremacy, to trust in your preeminence, in your absolute and utter power to help us your power to raise us from the dead, 
your power, Lord Jesus, and your all-sufficient merit to bring us to your glorious throne, the throne to which we have access to this very moment, the throne of grace to which we can come and find mercy and help in our time of need. So as we sit here, I want you to take a moment as we pray and get your heart ready to respond in worship to the Lord. Lord, help us to prepare our hearts to respond to you. Lord, if there's something that we need to deal with, if we've been trusting something other than you, help us to put our trust in you alone. Help us to rest in you, Lord Jesus. For you are our all-sufficient one. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand as we um, seal this, these truths into our hearts. Let's sing this to the